I'm glad you he- you're here because uh, some people heard that that I was going to be preaching and still came. Thank you, Bill. I told you I'd get you. It means you know, the, the, you've heard this story probably before. The, the bishop who was going to the parish church and uh, 10.30 arrived and church empty and 10.45 smattering of people. Uh, 10.58 not a quarter filled, said to the rector, the pastor, he said, did you tell him I was coming? And he said, no, but I guess the word got out. <laughs> the words got out. And you've come to hear my 89th sermon on Sundays and uh, Holy Week and then the homilies at the Bacchae and the suit communion, the priory and all. I heard that. Oh, Lord, how long? Who knows that scripture? Psalm 6, verse 3. Oh, Lord, how long? Let's just have a word of prayer. Lord, use these spoken words to serve the purpose of your written word alone. And ensure that after, all will today either rise inspired and edified or wake refreshed. (laughs) For Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Today, there's just awesome scriptures to preach. I'd love to go there for First Peter 3. Uh, always be prepared to make a defense and answer the hope that's in you when you're called upon to give account for it, yet, yet with gentleness, with reverence. Great passage, great reminder to us. And then, and then the John passage, the, uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches, the, the, the vine and branches word that, that uh, comes to us and our Lord abiding with us and being in us and uh, saying that uh, it's all about that abiding. Apart from the vine, the connection of the vine, we can do nothing. There is nothing. We are nothing. Both invite sermons, but in this Easter season, we get the Acts readings for the Old Testament. So we get the Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Holy Spirit, uh, inspiring the church to go and proclaim and live out the good news. And you have Paul in in Athens. It says he's standing in the area of Pegasus, gathering uh, there. And uh, and I read this always. I think he's one of the bravest things he ever did. And all the, all they did, and all the battles and the attempts on his life that came. One of the bravest things he ever did was to stand before the people of Athens, the cream of the culture, the center of the world culture, and proclaim to them. The Christ, it says he was talking about Jesus and the resurrection. And we're told that they spend much time there in Athens, much time hearing and telling of new things, new religious things. And it says they spent their time in nothing except that. And we don't know if Paul was invited to go to speak to them of uh, uh, new, uh, his new God, or whether he was already actually on trial of sorts, because it says they took hold of him and there into the Areopagus to speak. Uh, but either way, he was uh, come to set forth new God. It says earlier in the passage, it says that uh, Paul was arguing in the synagogues, the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace of many, including the, the philosophers uh, of the day, arguing every day, it says, Regardless here, Paul is preaching a, a remarkable sermon. 
these texts, well, he'd seen as he passed by an altar with this inscription on it, to an unknown God. Here is the tragedy of Athens. It was full of idols and, and uh, images and the people who worshipped gods many and lords many in the form of pagan gods and goddesses of Mount Olympus and all. And it's just so like this modern day for us when uh, people are pursuing many gods and goddesses, many uh, lords and, uh, and idols. You hear constantly about that. And in the paper just a while back, there's an article about a conference in Montreal being organized by a lady who is a medium, Marilyn, and her husband, John. They hold this conference saying that they were really genuinely interfaith in the, what they did in the conference. Really gen said, we're not, not New Age. We, some New Age things, parts, parts of that we accept, but we're not New Age. It's an interfaith genuine conference in which they had the medicine Buddha ceremony and the shaman ceremony and the prehistoric civilization buried under the South China Sea chaps bringing them all the news about that. And uh, the guy who was a great predictor, uh, he was the modern, they said Edgar Casey and Nostradamus they rolled into one and he was giving great predictions. And another man, a neuropsychiatrist who, who was able to etch more positive neuropathways in your brain through guided imagery meditations. This was their genuine interfaith conference. The chap, John, uh, wrote a book about his marriage to the medium, Mar Marilyn Nunn. The book was titled The Priest and the Medium. See, John was an Anglican priest in the Diocese of Montreal and putting on this interfaith conference. We hear of these kind of accounts uh, contemporary now. Then, now, 2,000 years ago, and, and still now, then and now, when people say, uh, you hear this phrase, I, I encourage you to hear it often, they say, someone says, I'm really spiritual. Or a young lady in our congregation, last I served, uh, who went off one weekend for her family, went off to Salisbury with friends, came back and told me next Sunday, the following Sunday, I was with a man who's head of this conference and he was really spiritual. <laughs> well, I investigated, he was a channeler, uh, contact with spirits of the dead. He was introducing them to a 17th century Ojibwe and a, an 18th century parish doctor. And uh, yeah, really spiritual is the buzzword of today. The people then, in 2,000 years ago in Athens, and now, to whom God, the real God, the real God, the creator of the world, was, was unknown. So Paul began with them on what he felt was the common ground. Ground began where the Christian creed begins. I believe in God Almighty, the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. He said there's some common ground there in the creation. But he dared as they went on to say to them, they meant all their idols, that such idols were vain. And their attempts to find God through their searching for wisdom in the ways they were doing it was vanity too. And they went on to the second part of the creed. He presented to them the Christ. He said uh, the way to know God, the way to come to God and to find God, to know God was through Jesus Christ. And the second part of the creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. He said, 
It fixed the day of justice, the day of judgment uh, on righteousness by uh, appointing a man. He appointed a man, Jesus. This is the heart of the gospel, Paul. Uh, it's, it's, it's in Christ, Christ, who is not an unknown God, but, uh, but real, living a real life, like what the early disciples said. Uh, we, we've, we've seen with our eyes, we touched with our hands, He's made his life is being made manifest. We saw it, we testified to it. This is real God in our midst, God incarnate. Christ, whose power and his truth were proved, assured, proved by because God raised him from the dead on the death on Calvary. The next verse in this account gives is such a remarkable, illuminating word in just a few words captures the reaction of people for all time to the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Acts 17, 32, just to hear those words again. That's on this page. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, he was preaching Jesus' the resurrection. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear more again. We'll hear again about this. So Paul went out from amongst them. And some joined him and believed and followed. Amongst them, Dionysus and the woman named Damaris and, and others. Uh, that uh, response uh, from, from some, that was illuminating words that come there. And, and, uh, and one, one writer gave me Three words that they just for something they said to my whole article, just a couple of words burn into your 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 mind. You give me just three words. Develop in a different way, but you use these three words: derision, delay, and decision. Derision, delay, and decision. Derision then, and now is downright scorn of those who mock and laugh at the thought of uh, Jesus the Christ. They were willing to listen then to him as the apostle about God Almighty, maker of, of heaven and earth. But when he spoke of Christ, Jesus raised from the dead and the one who would come again to be their judge, they laughed. Many of them laughed. That laughter is the response you get today often. Uh, indifference or laughter or dismissal. Uh, people show their derision by simply ignoring Christ and thinking they will never have a call to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I believe all will. The derision of today comes from young and old alike. I remember a man, an oxygenarian, late 80s, a gathering. I had sweatshirt on or a knit shirt and uh, so he didn't know who I was, and he said, what, what, what's your vocation? I said, well, I'm an Anglican priest, pastor, a disciple of Christ. And he said, oh, how quaint. And he walked away. And no, that's the end of the end of conversation. He walked away. Uh, I didn't get a chance to, 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 to speak with him at all. It matches the tradition of old, all through the ages, reading uh, Jesus Then and Now, and David Watson, the book for the video, of course, 
and as it leaps out of this quote from Thomas Carlyle, who's a Scottish essayist, about, about 160, 165 years ago, he said this, if Christ were to come today, they would not even bother to crucify him. They would ask him for dinner and hear what he had to say and make fun of it. 1860, today and 2,000 years ago in Athens. And Jesus saw that kind of response. You know, when in the parable uh, of the rich man and Lazarus, it's Luke 16, 19 to 31, great, that great passage. And uh, in, in, in that parable, he said there were people who would not believe, who would not be convinced even if one arose from the dead. So there is derision and, and mocking and laughter. And there's delay. The Athens people, their second reaction is, well, we will hear more about this. You know, we will dabble more in new things religious. Not make a decision about this something new. It, it, it's, it's, oh, First Kings 18, the great passage. Uh, it's those who they say, how long you go on limping after two different opinions? Not to decide. Putting off is always dangerous. From a very young age, I was raised in a phrase that stuck with me to this day. Not to decide is to decide. I've forgotten that. Anyone who hears the gospel and says, not now, I'd like to dabble in things that are spiritual and the and not now, it's forgetting that it may be the last time that they get to hear it. Now, I made a decision about the person of Christ before the last time for me came at age 27 through a car window in a coma, uh, a couple of young lads running the red light at 85 miles an hour. Uh, but there, I, before that last time hearing the gospel, I've heard other times that I said yes to it. And, and I think of one and this is burned in my memory. It goes back oh, about 20 years, more than 20 years. Uh, you remember, you remember the name Jason Lang, Tabor, Alberta. They've been the Columbine High School in Colorado, the, the massacre, and the copycat, young bullied 14-year-old who went the rifle into the, the high school in Tabor, and Jason Lang was killed. And his father was the Reverend Dale Lang, was the rector of St. Theodore's in Tabor. And he was a remarkable witness to the community with what, how he responded. His boy had been a great, great athlete and, and a, a great love for kids, worked for the youth pastor with the children's work, and uh, a job and just got in his new car three days before and then shot dead, executed at the school. And his father, the gathering at the school, said, we grieve for our son. A piece of our heart has gone out and it can't come back. But they went on to say we grieve for the community and we grieve for the sad state of this 14-year-old boy who's done this for no reason. He prayed, Lord God, he needs you so badly. He prayed for the boy. And then he spoke of his son. He said, most important to us was his love of Jesus. He'd been on Mexico mission the previous summer and a real faith alive. And we prayed, most important was his love of Jesus. It's this reality that gives us some peace in the midst of chaos. 
knowing that he's in the place that Jesus called paradise. Paradise. Thinking on, on that remarkable story. You know, today you and I may stand before God before another Sunday comes. You know, it could be Carax and Cohen, like I said, or something sudden. Uh, maybe before another Sunday comes. That, uh, that reality. And this story makes you think of the story of Jesus about the rich man who's a fool. He heard the words, this night, Luke 12, 20, this night your soul will be required of you. No prep, no warning, no, no preparation for the, for the end. Uh, this night your soul is required of you. And I think when it's, there's a suddenness for people, I think of the, the Honduras family in Texas wiped out with a, the rifle. And then the Texas mall, eight more, six dead, eight dead. Uh, others are constantly with that. Suddenly, your soul is recorded your God, last chance. Gordon Lightfoot, uh, he was touring, 84 years old, touring until uh, two months ago. And then he said, I'm feeling not well. He said to his chief basis for decades that my life's work is done. Two months later. You know, we've got to be reminded of this, the Second Corinthians 6, 2. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. That is the urgent message of the apostles and the early church. It must be the message of today's church. Uh, I could ask for a show of hands right now. How many know that that message was proclaimed in the Kigali Statement? All those who know the Kigali Statement? Jonathan? <laughs> Said, uh, I would hope you find out about this. One man said the most significant event in the Anglican Communion worldwide happened three weeks ago Friday. Our church, 13 people amongst 1,300 gathered in Rwanda. Our World Congress, our church's Congress, gathered with all the bishops and primates of the, the global south. And together, even though the Archbishop of Canada said we were a splinter ginger group, we said together we comprise 75 to 80 percent of the Anglican Communion. Now, the little splinter group, four fifths of the Anglican Communion, gathered together and made a statement. And it wasn't a suggestion, it wasn't a, a leaning to the direction that I might go. It was a statement. This is underway. It said, We are hereby resetting the Anglican Communion more clearly on its biblical foundations and not in relation to Mother Church England and not in relation to the Archbishop of Canterbury. He no longer is chief amongst the bishops. That the clear statement of Kigali was the declaration of the, the faith once uh, delivered very, 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 very clearly. So we have that derision and sometimes delay, but here we call it for a decision. Paul could not stay long in the place because they were either after to destroy him and kill him, but, but, but silence him, or, or to carry on because his mission was so wide and so great. But to hear here fut the futility of those who wanted to delay, seen in the words, say, as soon as they said, we'll, we'll, we'll dabble with this more, we'll, we'll, we'll think more about this. Uh, uh, and he said, it says, St. Paul went out from amongst them. And nowhere did he say he ever went back to 
the location. They never went back. He went out, the chance was gone. But, 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 but it says some joined him and believed amongst them, Dionysus and Damaris, a man and woman about whom we know nothing except this one single fact, the most important fact in anyone's life, that they believed on Jesus Christ and how much the world needs the influence of those who do have that belief, who, who have chosen Christ. Rather than in the world's glitter, I looked with uh, some dismay and sadness the screen, TVC news screen two, two weeks ago. It was the Met Gala. Metropolitan Museum in New York City being support had this spectacular Met Gala and quite extraordinary, bizarre, outlandish costuming. And, and the cost of the gala, $50,000 US per person to go to it. Da Daffy, I didn't go <laughs> this year. Uh, but that glitter and glamour and all. My clergyman once wrote about a, a lady in his congregation of the great beauty and great talent and, uh, and great wealth. And she's a deeply faithful church member, not just coming to weekly service, but in her worship life and her prayer life and in her work for the gospel life. And he remarked to her once so what a great influence it was on others to see her, someone who moved in such high circles with this vibrant witness to faith. And her reply was simple. That being all through the other, the social climber kind of life, I know all about it. There is nothing to it. All that glitter. What I mentioned about a decade ago still comes back to me at such a moment of reflection and preaching. Matt and Port McNeil, whose wife and children were in the congregation we had at Port McNeil, and she wanted me to meet her husband. And so with a pretense of me delivering some Sunday school materials, I came up to the house. He's in the carport with his tools and rifles and fishing rods. And uh, he sees me and says, oh, I guess you're here to see the wife. I said, well, I'll see her and to see you too. And he looks at so like that. He said, well, long we don't talk about politics or religion. I said, what do you want to talk about? He said, football. So I gave him Tommy Scott's pass-catching total and yardage for the season to the Eskimos, and Tommy Wilkinson throwing drawing to him, and uh, uh, Henry Gizmo Williams run backs on kickoffs and, and the yardage he gained, and his, his jaw is dropping. The preachers don't know that kind of stuff. But in the conversation, he put a name into the conversation. He said, Jesus Christ. I said, Gotcha, I'll be trying to bring him into the conversation. <laughs> and he got kind of reflective of the little boy growing up, Sunday school, learning all about God in Sunday school. And he talked to the, I don't know, he said, no, I know, my God, there's my God. It's filled wallet with hundreds of dollars. There's my God. And I was about three houses away, two weeks later, visiting with a young couple. I heard a gunshot. I looked at this couple, I said, it's Larry. I ran out the door to his home in his garage. There he is. Suicide. He had nothing. Nothing. So contrast St. Paul, 
who says, I count all things as lost for knowing Christ, for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. So some mocked the derision. Some laughed and dismissed. Uh, but others said, we will hear again about this matter. So they delayed, but some decided. Decision came. And so for them, Joshua of old was their clarion call, rallying call, and for us too. Choose this day whom you will serve. And for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. And amen.